Imagine waking up and feeling ready to face the day with a smile, having more energy for your work, family and social life, fitting into your jeans and feeling good about your body, knowing what to eat and enjoying your food without guilt or confusion, dealing with the stress of daily life in a way that doesn't fry your chips and best of all, feeling relaxed, optimistic and in control of your health. It's all possible. I will show you how. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, energized life with Straight Talking Natural Health, a no BS, tell it like it is wellness show, brought to you by qualified naturopath and functional medicine practitioner, Jules Galloway. That's me. Today's guest is a writer and podcaster. She has created pieces for Collective Hub and Thrive Global, which are awesome. And she's interviewed some very cool peeps, including Lewis Howes, Lisa Messenger, Gabby Bernstein, and JP Sears. But her most recent achievement is a much more personal affair. You see, she's recently released a book that is all about her fight with poor body image, self-judgment, and eating disorders. I know this is a very, very important topic, so this one will be a must for not only all women out there, but anyone who has a daughter. This episode comes with a trigger warning. We will be talking about topics like anorexia, bulimia, and mental health. Okay, so without further ado, please welcome to the podcast, the lovely Monica Cade. Woohoo! Thank you for such a cool intro. I loved it. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. So tell me, eating disorders are really common. Like, I think a lot of them get swept under the rug, though. So tell me, what was it that started you in this form, you know, of coming out and telling your story to the world? What, what made you decide that you wanted to bear all? It's really interesting. I remember one day I just started writing a, so, so I should probably just clarify the, the first half of my book is uh, my story. And then the second half is a, almost a guide as to how I got through it and a breakdown uh, for anyone else who wants to take a similar approach to their health and, and mental health as well. And so I wrote the first half, uh, sorry, the second half, the guide part as an ebook one day. I don't really remember why I decided to do that, but I did. Mm-hmm. And, and I had that as a download on my website. And that was probably like two years before I went to write, write the book. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and then I remember one day I just woke up and I was like, it's time to write the book. And I knew very much exactly what that meant. It was like to write the book about my health journey and and how I, you know, beat this eating disorder. And I think it was, I mean, I've always, since I was younger, felt that I would write a book. I had no idea on what it would be on. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, I have a love for writing. So I think that was part of it. But then also to share my experience through something that could potentially help somebody else through it so they don't have to go down those same pathways that I did. I kind of, that I guess was the next part of it and, and putting it all together. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think this topic is huge and we don't even know how huge I feel like there are more people out there with body image issues and eating disorders than they're letting on. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something, in a way, it's normalised. You know, we we kind of just everybody I have spoken to at least 
has said that they feel some sort of insecurity around their body. And I think that comes also down to the media and how predominant body images in our society. It's just the world that we live in. It's, you know, it's everywhere uh, from subtle marketing to, you know, comparison through with our peers and, and all these kinds of stuff. And I think it's, yeah, I think now it's something that's more spoken about and more attention is being drawn to it. But I think as well in the past, it's been seen as a very superficial type of illness, whereas where people, if you have an eating disorder, people just look at it and go, oh, you know, just eat something, you know. But it isn't as simple as that. It is a mental health issue. It is something like depression and anxiety, you know. Those illnesses now more so seem to be given a bit more attention, but and, and I think eating disorders are slowly on the rise too, but I think, yeah, there's a different outlook on what they are. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It kicks off quite often a long time before we sort of really become aware that it's going on as well. Uh, how old were you when you began to have issues with body image? Can you remember when it all started happening for you? The earliest memory I have is when I was in year six. So I was about 11 years old. And I remember having a thought that my legs were fat. Now, they definitely weren't. And I remember comparing myself to others around that age, but it wasn't really anything that made me think that I needed to be skinny and not that I'm aware of anyway. But that's the very first kind of thought that I consciously remember having where I, I guess, was questioning what I looked like. And then it wasn't probably until high school, I think that's when it all started. I think the first two years of high school for me were a bit challenging. Uh, I guess I wasn't in, in the popular group, but I wasn't, I mean... Uh, like I wasn't in the popular group, but I was not one, like I didn't, it's not like I didn't have any friends or anything like that, but I was still subject to like bullying and things like that. And I think in high school as well, it's such a time in your life where you're constantly comparing yourself to your friends and the other people around you. And so I think that kind of triggered it a little bit and it wasn't until much later that it developed into something. So like it would have officially turned into something at the end of year 12. That's when I like committed to it. Uh, but yeah, so I think at 12 years old and then kind of at the start of high school, they were kind of the early signs I would say. Yeah. What was fueling it? Like why do you think you really committed to it in year 12? I think I was just so unhappy in my skin and I, my sister was also quite thin growing up. That's just naturally, you know, her body type. And I think for me, I just, I really didn't like how I felt in my body. And so I thought that by becoming skinnier, uh, that would probably make me more likable or, you know, I remember writing in the book at one point that if I, could be skinny, then I could be successful. So I associated thinness with success and 
and yeah, so yeah. That's kind of how it's portrayed in the media though, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like if you can be skinny, you can have it all in business, yeah. in life and that kind of a thing, which is such a false sense. It's a false idea to sell because it's definitely something that I realized further down the track and I don't want to jump too far ahead in case. <laughs> so I'm not um, avoiding further, you know, initial questions. But I think like later on down the track, I realized, oh, you know, it doesn't matter what the outside looks like. This is the feeling on the inside. So despite how skinny I am, I still feel the same. So obviously that's not the answer here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I definitely want to get into some stuff with the media and and culture later as well, because yeah, they, it definitely plays into all of this. Uh, but yeah, let, let's just talk about sort of how things went for you initially. So you had both anorexia and bulimia. Did mm-hmm. one lead to the other? What came first? Yeah. So it would have been anorexia first. And then it got to a point where I just wanted food and, but I didn't want to eat obviously. And so then I discovered bulimia and then that gave me the opportunity to still lose weight and be skinny, but I was able to eat. Yeah. And how long did you go through this for? Like, are we talking years here? Yeah. So the whole thing would have been 11 years if I, if I start counting from like the end of high school uh, until like the final year where I lived the whole year, like free of the disorder. That's pretty much all of your twenties. I know it's insane. When I think about it, I'm like, wow, a huge portion of my life was spent just doing that. Like there were so many other things I could have done, but I was completely invested in that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It just, it just shows so like what a grip these things have on people. Absolutely. Yeah. How bad did it get? Um, To give you an idea, I think when I started, I weighed about, let's say I was around 60 kilos because I was in like my maybe 59 or something like that in my early 20s. Uh, I'm 165 centimetres tall. So I wasn't overweight or anything. Um, And then I dropped to 43 kilos. So I think it was like 15 kilos, 16 kilos total that I lost. Yeah. And that's, that's yeah. pretty serious. Yeah, it is. And I remember standing on the scale at 43 going, I'm just going to get to 40. I'm just going to get to 40 and then I'll stop. But I'm glad I didn't because I don't yeah. know if I would have made it. Yeah. <clears throat> How were your friends and family reacting at the time? Like I'm sure there would have been some very well-meaning people close to you who were trying to get you to stop. Yeah. So in the beginning, I don't think anyone noticed and I was able to kind of keep it a secret because when you lose a little bit of weight, no one, everyone, I mean, I've always been very fit my whole life and very athletic. So I was always doing sports and things like that. So it wasn't abnormal for me to be working out. And so I remember the first time that someone noticed it was my mom and I was probably around 56 kilos. So it's like, say I was, I'd lost four kilos. And she just said to me, she stopped me in the, in the hallway. She was like, you know, you've lost a lot of weight in a very short amount of time. Is everything okay type thing? And I remember telling her, yeah, yeah, yeah it's fine. But I, she was kind of on to something like, you know, and, and then she wanted me to go see a psychologist. And I was like, no, I don't need to. I don't have an eating disorder, blah, blah, blah. And 
And then eventually she kept at it and I said, fine, I'll go. And thinking, I'm going to go, I'm going to tell him exactly what he wants to hear and, <laughs> kind of thing, and tell her and I went and tick it off. And, and so I did exactly that. And, and yeah, she said, so what did he say? I said, well, he doesn't think I have an eating disorder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, teenagers. Oh, so smart. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I thought I was pretty clever at the time, obviously. Like, yeah, you'd be like, yeah, I beat the system. Take totally. Yeah, 100%. And then, yeah, after that, it kind of, uh, I don't I don't really remember, to be honest. Like I think over time, obviously, I was getting skinny and skinny. And there was one point I remember I was out with my friends one night and it, this was obviously a, 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 a tipping point because my mental, it, eventually it got to a point where it was affecting my capacity to function and my brain. It was taking up so much space in my head that obviously I was about to crack. And I remember one night I was at some party with some friends and I actually just broke down in tears and I ended up telling one of my friends and then it ended up in being this like whole big discussion with a group of us. And so then a lot of people ended up knowing. Uh, But even at that point, like, after that instant, like I kept going after that and it got worse and worse and worse. So at that point in time, people knew and my parents knew and they did obviously try to help. My dad as well was just pretty like, just start eating. You need to do this. And and I think what's really challenging for the people, your friends and your family is that they really want to help you, but they don't know how. And so they get frustrated with you because you're just defying them. And when you have an eating disorder, you are a master at manipulation and telling lies and stories. And, you know, everything is planned out to a T to when you say, yes, I ate or avoiding meals or being somewhere when meals are happening, you know, like everything is so well planned out so you can avoid eating. And yeah, I think people just eventually, like my friends, I think their way of coping with it was to just, if we were out going out for drinks or dinner and stuff like that, they would just say, just eat something small, you know? And I think that was a way that was a bit somewhat comforting because they weren't like my family that were like, eat, eat, eat. They would just like have a little bit, you know? And so it gave me a bit of confidence to have a little bit. And obviously it was a tiny, tiny bit, but yeah. 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 Was there a turning point or a catalyst that led to you recovering? Like, what, can you pinpoint when you actually knew you were going to be able to get better? Yeah. So, after some time, probably uh, around that time, like that year, I don't remember when I was, but uh, when I was 43 kilos, I think so. It took, it took me about like four years to get to that place. And then, um, during that time I was doing a, a little model modeling, uh, what do you call it? Fashion parade for like just a, a small fashion label. And I met this girl there and I named her, I gave her the nickname Polly because she looked like one of those Polly pocket dolls. I don't know if you <laughs> remember them, but like for the listeners, in case you don't know what they are, they're like these tiny little plastic figurines that are probably like two centimeters tall. And they have like these big heads and these tiny, tiny bodies. And <laughs> she looked like that. And because she also had an eating disorder, 
she was much worse than I was at that time. Anyway, so we became friends and that was probably one of the best things that happened to me because while the eating disorder kept going on for quite some time, I was able to talk to her and I think that was the most therapeutic thing for me. And she also encouraged me to journal and she'd tell me about her experiences, you know, and she'd been in a similar situation for many years, but she'd been hospitalized so many times and had issues with her organs and stuff like that. So I think that I don't know that it was consciously having an effect on me, but maybe subconsciously it was. And then I remember one time I ended up moving into my grandparents' place because uh, it was too challenging living at home because mum was always on me. And I also was working for a publishing company and so it was a closer commute. And so it allowed me to keep my eating disorder going. But I don't know, living with my grandma at the time, I actually was able to eat a little bit. And she, she never said anything to me, but she just, you know, she was just a presence there for me. And I think that really helped as well. And during that time when I was there, Polly got admitted into an eating disorder unit, which was fairly close by. So I would go and visit her. And I just remember uh, going there and visiting her and she wasn't allowed anything. They weighed her every day. They monitored what she ate. And when I went there, I was just like, I'm never going to end up in a place like this. Like, hell no. And I remember when I was putting the book together, I was reading through different journal entries. And apparently after one of my visits there, something had clicked over and uh, Polly had shared with me something like, you know, you've got to imagine it this way. Like, the world is on a train and the train's coming and it's stopping by in front of you. Now you have a choice to get on the train with everyone in the world and live an amazing life or you have a choice to stay where you are in this lonely, isolated, very, very sad world. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is breaking. <laughs> and and I remember writing that and I think that was the beginning of a transformation. And then I think maybe, I don't know, a little while after that, I had a, another breakdown at work where I just had a bit of an anxiety attack and I rang Polly and I was like, I can't do this anymore. It's too much. And I just mentally couldn't cope. I couldn't deal with the consistent ongoing spiral of thoughts. It's like just one repetitive thought cycle that goes over and over again. It's always about your body. It's always about food. And and you really lose every aspect of yourself you know, you're not, you're not who you truly are. You're just like this walking empty shell. And so that was probably the turning point at that, that, that phone call. She said to me, she's like, you know, why don't you try and go get some help? And when she said it, I just felt like it was like this ray of light, you know, like there was hope. And so a month after that, I got the courage to go see a GP and I went on to a mental health plan and, and then that's when I started the journey back to recovery. So, I mean, yeah, it was like, what, four years into it and then I think another six years out of it or, hang on, seven years out of it because 11 years. Um, yeah. 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 Did Polly recover? Um, I think so. I... I'm not really in touch with her anymore. I mean, she definitely left the eating disorder unit and um, I've had brief conversations with her as well when I was putting the book together and she's had a baby. So I think she is a lot uh, healthier now. I don't know whether she still struggles with those 
illnesses at all. But um, yeah, but she's definitely better from when we were younger. Yeah. Yeah. How did the recovery go for you? Like, were there times when you went forwards and backwards and forwards and backwards? How did that roll? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it was like. It was so hard. It was, oh, it was some days. I just remember one day thinking, I don't think this is possible. Like, I actually don't think that it is, is possible to get better. Like, I couldn't fathom a life where there wasn't some sort of behavior, whether it was purging or restricting food or over exercising. Like, I couldn't fathom that at all. Like it seemed like it would never happen. So yeah, it was a constant kind of back and forth, like feeling like I'd stand up and then I'd fall down again. And because I was journaling a lot, I developed a little system for myself where, cause I, so when I was purging, I was purging a lot of times a day. So, uh, it could have been over 10 times a day, but to clarify, like I wasn't, sometimes I might just eat, I may have just eaten an apple, for example, but then I'd just like purge that. Other times it might be a meal or, you know, sometimes I might binge or something. But so my goal I thought was, okay, well, to go from that amount of times purging, that's pretty challenging. So why don't I set myself the goal of like, so today I'm only allowed to purge 10 times. Tomorrow it might be five times. And just kind of like go down like that. And then and then it got to the point where I was able to not purge. But so what I would do is if I made it through the day, I'd put like a little sticker in my journal. And for me, even though it seems like kind of childish for someone <laughs> in their in their twenties, it was like No way, man. I love it. Stop it. <laughs> it was honestly like so um, it inspired me because I'd go out and I'd buy stickers that I really liked, you know? And so, and to get through a sticker sheet, that would mean like I get to go buy more stickers. So, um, <laughs> you know, you've got to do whatever you can and that seemed to work. So each, each day I'd make it through, I would put a sticker in my journal and over time, you know, the, um, it was consecutive and I'd reach a month and then I'd reach two months. And then I think around the third month, I think I had a slip up where I, you know, purged one day and it was awful. I felt so upset. Like I felt like everything I had done had just become undone. And then I realized that I was like, hang on a second. That's not true. Like you've come all this way and just because you fall down doesn't mean you're back to square one. You've totally moved forward. So I just, that was another turning point. And I think it's really important to talk about that in terms of recovery or, you know, even just going after a goal that might be challenging for yourself, like getting healthy or changing the way that you eat in a day to day for anyone, because often, you know, when we have to make a big change, it's not always easy. And I think our social media can sometimes present it like it's going to look like a straight line. And if you can't do the straight line, then you might as well just give up because you're never going to get there. But it's never a straight line. Yeah, it's not. No, there is no <laughs> straight like, line. <laughs> Emma, it's like squiggly up and down all over the place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's that's not just health, that's business and relationships. And pretty much you could apply that that squiggly line to a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. So that was that was the journey of recovery, but they were kind of the key points in time. And then, you know, eventually I, I I guess I got healthy and that type of behavior wasn't part of my day to day. 
but the thoughts may have still have been there for some time. But I was able to, I was strong enough in myself to go, okay, you don't have to action that. You can just let that thought go. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Talk to me about social media because you mentioned it just then and mm. it's a huge, huge, huge topic when we're talking about any sort of body image slash eating disorder stuff. Uh, we're constantly being bombarded in the media and online and I know, you know, I'm a child of the 80s. Uh, mm. You know, I went through my teenage years and my 20s sort of, you know, in the 90s and you know, they used to blame the magazines. Do you remember when they used to blame yeah. the magazines, right? <laughs> and like now they're still blaming the magazines, but they've kind of forgotten about the magazines and now they're just all blaming Instagram, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. at least the magazines could be held accountable in a lot of ways and you yeah. could force the magazines to chase, change their behaviour through pressure and the media and, you know, uh, people who've worked in those magazines who've later come out and spoken about the culture of, you know, putting in very thin models, et cetera, right? Mm, So we know that the magazines could be pressured into change, but now we've got this beast called social media, which has no rules. It's like the Wild West out there. (laughs) And it's just the same, it's that same culture over again, but this time there is no way to regulate it. Like how do you, how do you navigate that? Yeah, I think it's, first of all, I think I'm so lucky to have gone through what I went through at the time that I did because Facebook only came out when I was like finishing high school. So, so I didn't have all that. Instagram didn't even exist. And I think now like you just open up Instagram and there's all these pouts and half-dressed bodies and, and this thinspiration or fitspiration or like all this stuff. And there's so much coming at an individual at any given time about what you should look like, how you should eat, you know, how you should live your life. I think it's really challenging. And I think especially for the younger generation too, and they don't know anything different in terms of, you know, the difference between what it was like before with the magazines and and now the online space. But I feel like the problem with the online space is like, yes, like you mentioned, it, it can't be regulated, but also that a lot of it is smoke and mirrors, like half of what we see, it's not real. So, you know, those people that are posing in particular ways, showing off their body, they're probably like sucking in their stomach and, you know, have taken 10,000 shots before they get that perfect one. And then they add a filter on top of it. And it's like, that person doesn't even look like that. And yet there's people out there that are like, oh, I want to look like that. And they'll do whatever they can to look like that because then they think, oh, then I'm going to be lovable. Then I'll be accepted. Then I can be successful kind of like we touched on before. And, you know, I think for each person they associate body image and what that means for them in a different way. So I can't speak across the board, but I think that's kind of the issues that we're facing now with social media. Yeah. And I know that social media can also go to some pretty scary depths. Like I know there's hashtags out there. I think Instagram might've put a stop to some of them now, but there's like, you know, anorexia, like pro anorexia Mm. hashtags and places that people can go to get inspiration and support by other people who are saying that it's okay to have an eating disorder. Like there's some pretty scary stuff out there. If, if, you know, if I was a mum with a daughter, I would be freaking out. It's, yeah, it's, it's a pretty full on sort of time to be living in. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, like, <clears throat> sorry, um, even when I was in my illness, there was that pro-anorexia, pro-bulimia stuff, but it was harder to find. Like it was on the internet and there wasn't that much of it. But I do remember around <laughs> during my time, you know, oh, what's her name, Nicole Ritchie and, and I think that crowd and other kind of stars, they were going through that very anorexic phase and it was just like an in thing. So it was on the cover of magazine. So it was a little bit more accessible for me then, but even it was around then, but I noticed like when I was, you know, just doing research on my book and just even promoting it on Instagram and playing out with different hashtags and just, you know, seeing different things like that come up. And yeah, I think a lot of them are being blocked, which I think is a great thing, but it is hard, I imagine, for parents to also, because it, uh, their child will have the phone on them. How do you regulate that, you know, like take the, the phone away? Like that, I don't think is going to solve the issue at hand. But, yeah. No, that'll is. spark a rebellion possibly. Exactly. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Be like, it's not going to work. <laughs> take my phone. I'm going to stop eating even more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And we all know how stubborn teenage girls can be and we shouldn't just say girls in this because you know there are there are plenty of males out there now with eating disorders as well yeah Uh, apparently that's that's growing in leaps and bounds actually there's quite I forgot the statistic when I was reading about it the other day um but there's a lot of males that are suffering from eating disorders and a lot of people in the lgbtqi community and you know um it is. It's, it's something that is very prevalent in our society. Yeah. I also wanted your opinion on the gray area. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, there's this, it, it's, as a health practitioner, I have to, I have to tread very carefully here because it's a very contentious kind of issue. But uh, I noticed there's a lot of women out there these days, you know, yes on Instagram, yes on social media, but also rocking up in in my clinic or as a patient on Skype. Mm -hmm. They're being super strict with things like juice fasts, plant-based diets, paleo diets, keto. The list goes on. It doesn't matter like what tactic they're using, but it's like it's it's like they're taking it too far so like something that could be a wonderful healthy practice like going vegan for a while or going paleo or keto for a while something that normally gives you really great results Mm. uh, being used as a tool because of you know it's coming from a place of fear or self-loathing and I worry that it's bordering on obsessive for a lot of women Uh, how can we tell when these sorts of diets are healthy and how can we tell when it's a warning sign that it's coming from a dark place? I feel like with that, it comes down to the individual to really know how they feel in their body. So I feel like I've tried everything and then I've come to something that works for me, but I'm not going to put that on everybody. And I feel like everyone needs to find what works for them. But I think if you're, if it's taking up space in your mind, so if you're thinking about it, the rules of this particular way of eating, then it may not be right for the person. Because I think when something is true for you or it feels natural for you to do, you don't think about it and you don't stress about following the quote unquote rules. So I think in my opinion, that would be the best way to navigate that. So if any of our listeners are 
following a particular way of eating and it's consuming space in your mind, then I would maybe revisit and see if that's the right way for you. Because uh, I think, yeah, it, in my experience after all this time as well, like when something is right for you, it's not going to become an obsession. It's not, it's not something that you're going to have to follow to a T. You know, you'll be flexible with it and, and cut yourself some slack, for goodness sake, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that would be the best approach. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very wise counsel, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's also very tough if you're the support person or the loved one looking on, Mm. uh, how do you help someone who's going through an eating disorder or even how do you help someone who's going through a period of just, you know, self-loathing or, or not loving their body? I think the the best gift you could do or the best way to support someone is to just be there and to listen. And I feel like so often people want to fix the situation or tell them what they should do. And a lot of the time when people are in that dark space, whether it's an eating disorder or, or going through issues with body image, it's most people know the solution of how to get out of it or they know what they could do to improve it. But not often, sometimes people want to stay in something, you know, and, and they'll have to, they'll, for example, using myself was, I didn't, it, it took me to a certain point. Like I had to get to that tipping point before I decided that I wanted to get help. So anyone that tried to help me prior to that moment was going to be rejected because I wasn't ready. I was happy continuing going down the path I was going down. It wasn't bad enough yet. So I think what would have been nice, and I think this is what I found to be the most supportive when I ended up going to see a psychologist was that I was able to just talk and I felt like I could talk freely without her judging me, whether she did or not, it didn't really matter. But I was able to get the things that were going on in my mind and let them out. And I think to be able to give someone that space and help them to feel safe and that they can express what they're truly feeling. I think often people come to their own realizations because it's not all being like, um, you know, it's not all in their head so much and it gives people room to really just express what they're feeling and then hopefully move on from it. And I understand that, you know, if there's a mother listening that has a child with an eating disorder, she's probably going, I don't like that approach at all. And I understand that I do. But unless the person with an eating disorder is ready to move on from that, I don't know that there's a lot that you can do for someone. It's kind of in life, I think, if someone doesn't want to change, then you can't force them, you know. But the best thing you can do is just be there for them for the moment when they are ready because they will come at time when they are ready and if I think if you can be as kind and supportive just in that capacity then I think that person whoever's going through something is more likely to come to you for help at that at that moment yeah yeah and I think you you hit the nail on the head there with the not judging people Mm. It's so hard though. It's so hard because if you've got a loved one who's going through it, I mean, you're naturally 
it's where is that line where you, of course you're judging them because you're looking at them to see if they're healthy or unhealthy mm. or if they're hurting themselves or not hurting themselves. Like that requires a small degree of judgment, even though it's coming from the right place. Mm. So yeah. it's, it's a big challenge, isn't it? To put that judgment aside and not have it affect the way you deal with the person. Yeah, I think as well, and I'm not saying that like if a parent listening does have a child going through this, just let them, you know, do their thing. That's not exactly what I'm saying. You know, I think depending on the person's age as well, sometimes intervening could be the best thing possible for that person. It's really hard to know. And I think, I think trusting your own heart and your own gut instinct in those moments is the best that you can do. And worst case scenario is like your loved one is going to get upset with you for trying to help them. Like that is really going to be the worst case scenario (laughs) if you do try to help them. Um, And it might cause some tension argument, but that's not really a really bad thing in, in the larger scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's so difficult, isn't it? It is. Uh, I think it's a case by casing. Like I can't say that one, one thing fits all and I can only offer insight from, you know, my experience and, and how I felt when people approached me in a certain way and my internal dialogue. But then again, I'm so different to the other per- the person next to me. So I don't know what their mental conversation is as well. So yeah, it is a bit tricky, but this is, you know, from my experience. Yeah. And then if you're a friend trying to bring up the subject with a friend, it's like a whole other kettle of fish as well. Oh, totally. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Um, Talk to me about your book. It's called The Storm Under My Skin, How I Ended the Battle with My Body and How You Can Too. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sounds like it was a positive experience to write. Yeah. I actually had someone ask me in another interview, they said, uh, was it really hard to write the book? And it wasn't hard to write the book. I think because I also had completed the journey, I think it would have been different if I was still in it or still in recovery and writing it. I think it may have been different, but it was very much over for me. And then, uh, so I really enjoyed writing it and I guess, cause I love writing. So I really loved the process of writing and I didn't feel like it was a chore or anything like that. And if anything, it was really fascinating because I had to, there's so many things that I'd forgotten along the way. So I had to do research and then I'd read through my journals and I'd also just put myself back in those, in, in the recovery time during the recovery time, I had to really kind of go back and go, well, how did I, how did I get better? Cause to be honest, I don't really know. And, and, or I didn't know until I kind of stopped and went, okay, well, how did you get better? What were the steps? If you had to break it down for someone else, what did you do? You know, because you, as you go along the way, you almost forget. It's like when you're learning a new skill in the beginning, it's a bit challenging. And then as you become good at it, you, it becomes something that you do automatically, you know, but like I shared in the beginning of our conversation, how there was that time where I thought, Oh, there's no way that I could ever live a normal life. And then here I am living a normal life, you know? So yeah. So I tried to really break down the steps in the second part as to my experience. And a lot of it isn't, uh, 
in regards to exercise or food. And I do touch on that a little bit in the book, but a lot of it is becoming aware, excuse me, of the thoughts in your mind and just the little, little tiny thoughts that a lot of people don't even recognize that maybe are keeping you stuck, like with the way that you judge your food, the labels that you attach to different things, the meaning that you've associated to X, Y, Z. So I really focus a lot on the mind component of this. And I feel like that's probably something that I haven't seen written about when I read about eating disorders, not to the same extent that I've spoken about in this book anyway. And yeah, in the beginning I I share my story so people can really see what it is like to live with an eating disorder because I think one, it paints a picture of the reality of it, a reality that I didn't even know when I went into it. And it was only when I went into it, I was like, oh, okay, this doesn't look like fun and you know, the way that um, the media or social media can portray it. It's not fun at all. You lose your entire life and you don't get that back. And yeah, so I tried to share that, but I also didn't want to be too gritty with the details. Like there are a couple of like paragraphs that I read and I'm like, oh, like I've just bared all this for the world. (laughs) But, you know, and, and then I also didn't want to talk too much about the processes and and behaviors of the eating disorder in certain ways because if someone with an eating disorder picked up that book I didn't want them to use my strategies that I yeah it's not a how-to yeah exactly so I was very vigilant in in what I kind of shared and and so I think I shared one thing in the entire book where part of me was like oh this could be a tactic for somebody reading the book but in the overall grand scheme of things, I just really needed to show people how much your mind becomes consumed by this monster. And I felt that was a very good example. So, yeah. 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 So it sounds like you're free of said monster now and it's awesome that you're doing so well. What does the future hold? Oh, I think, you know, my future has so many possibilities in it now that I, I am not, consumed by food exercise and just living a living in a way that's not supportive to any type of joy so yeah I think there's lots of different things on the horizon yeah that's awesome you've got your life back I do yeah (laughs) got your mind back love it Yeah. yeah absolutely Awesome. Look, thank you so much for being here today and for being so brave and so open with a topic that's, you know, so personal. Uh, How can people find you online, buy your book, connect with you on social media? Over to you. Hmm, Thank you. So you can go over to monicak.com and that's my website. So you can find all things about my book there. There's a free chapter download as well if, if you'd like to read a little bit before buying it. That's an option. And I mostly hang out on Instagram. I am also on Facebook, but it's just at Monica Cade. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Avoid Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you come into my page, then come say hi. (laughs) 
don't go anywhere else. <laughs> the only place we need to get like those little child filter things, you know, or like that controls, parental controls. Oh, how good would that be? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ban anyone who's like put thinspo in their hashtags. That'd be a good start. <laughs> Correct. Oh, Monica, thank you again for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure and um, good luck with the book and good luck with everything. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jules. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Straight Talking Natural Health. If you liked what you heard, hit subscribe. That way you'll never miss an instalment. If you're a fan, please take a moment to leave me a review on iTunes. It helps other listeners to find this podcast too. Also, check out my website at julesgalloway.com. You'll find all the podcast episodes there along with loads of blog posts and resources to help you on the path back to finding your happy, energized self again. There's also a free quiz to help you assess your risk of burnout and adrenal dysfunction. So if you've been burning the candle at both ends or maybe you've been super busy or stressed recently, take the quiz now to see where your body is at. That's at julesgalloway.com. And let's connect. Follow my adventures on Facebook and Instagram at Jules Galloway Health and join our pumping Facebook group. Just search for Straight Talking Natural Health or follow the links in the show notes. Till next time, remember, look after your awesome self because it gives others permission to do the same. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.